the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Taking your appeal to a higher court. I'm desperate. Well, did a hell of a job, kid. Chasing down your dream. I don't care what kind of job I did. If it doesn't produce results, it doesn't mean anything. I think you'll discover that it will. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the problem. Praying is something we do in our time. The answers come in God's time. Have I done everything I possibly can? Can you help me? Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. everybody, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that scene from Rudy, the movie Rudy. If you read my book, you know that I uh, have have a handful of references to that. Uh, you know what? Uh, and, I, and I just felt like, you know, after the, uh, after the election on Tuesday and watching the results come in over the last three or four days, 
And, of course, we'll still be seeing waiting for results into next week. Uh, you know what? Hey, I know that there is a God, and I'm not him. And uh, clear, clearly what I want, what I want doesn't really matter because I live in California. And uh, the, rest of the, the rest of the voters here um, just don't think. I was going to say don't think like me, but I, I have a hard time thinking that there's people in this state that see us paying six and a half, seven bucks a gallon for gas and don't put any blame on the leadership of this country. Uh, we see the crime going up in this in this state. We see the we just we see the cost of living, the grocery stores, drive through drive through drive through for what used to be, you know, five or six dollars. Uh, to drive through and get a burger and fries and a and a drink is now fourteen fifteen or or even higher depending on what you order. It's uh it's ugly, and apparently nobody thinks politics have anything to do with that. I do, but clearly there is a God and I'm not Him. That song was Sticks from nineteen seventy nine, Borrowed Time, and I and I and I was listening to uh, listening to it. And I go, you know what? Hey, I, we were so cool back in 65. We had it made because uh, we understood what to do to survive. You know, we didn't care about no gasoline. None of that stuff mattered. And uh, now the, the more I, the, the, the left says right, the right says no. And the more, I, the more I learn, well, the less that I know. And we're living on borrowed time. I think about that. You know, we were, we were 1979. We were in the crisis of confidence. Jimmy Carter telling us uh, we shouldn't want to own things. We shouldn't want to live so nice. And uh, watching the price of gas. Remember uh, uh, having, a, having a, you only had odds and even days based on what your uh, license plate said. Uh, I remember getting a ticket because I needed gas and I had an even and my friend had an odd and and we just weren't smart enough to switch our license plates uh, uh, in the garage instead of out in the street. And the cop happened to drive by. Uh, stupid things that kids do. And uh, it was no different when I was a kid. But I thought that song was apropos to what's going on. And uh, and thought it would thought it thought it fit the times. So anyway, uh, I'm going to talk about what happened this week. Before I do, my name is Ed Hoffman. I'm the I'm the greatest lender of all time. So if you're thinking of uh, and I still apparently the Department of Real Estate says they'll have a uh, they'll have my license switched over uh, in the next few days. But since uh, Friday's uh, Veterans Day, apparently it's going to be Monday. Um, but if you if you want to check out some uh, whether whether or not you should be in the market to do something uh, with your financing and you want to talk to someone who thinks like you call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net. Use the contact page. As soon as the DRE clears it, I'll have a, uh, I'll have a link to my lending page at my new company. And, uh, if you want to send me an email, send me an email to edhoffman at uamco.com. I won't tell you what company it is, but it's easy to figure out. Um, but I can't advertise for them just yet. Um, if you want to make a, but if you want to make a comment on the show, Ed Hoffman, Ed at edhoffman.net, Ed at edhoffman.net. So, uh, so anyway, uh, if you want to, uh, and also if you want to, while you're on edhoffman.net, if you want to hear any part of the show repeated or you missed it, you can go to the podcast page, hear the show as well, well, several past shows, uh, on demand. And you can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can subscribe for free, have it download to your device once a week. I record on Friday mornings, most weeks, 
and uh, and it'll uh, we upload it Friday afternoon, and it'll down, download to your device shortly thereafter. Hey, before we get any farther, today's this weekend is Veteran Veterans Week, Veterans Day weekend. Um, I have a little tribute at the end of the show this week, um, but also also next week I'll be interviewing uh, Colonel Byron Byron Sullivan, call sign Shrek. Uh, retired, retired, uh, Marine, uh, don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's going to be awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about what happened this week. The media has declared Tuesday's election results to be a red ripple rather than a red wave. I can't, I can't disagree with that, but taking back the house and preventing Democrat governorships is no small victory. And we have a lot to celebrate in the house. Republicans picked up 12 seats as of Friday morning, that had pre- previously been held by Democrats. Uh, by Friday morning, by Friday morning, Democrats had uh, 193 seats, and the Republicans have 211. With all signs pointing to taking back the House. It's amazing to me that uh, some of these uh, some of these races were called with with so little so little of the of the of the votes counted. But now we're now we're as of Friday morning. We're you know we're four day three days past the past the election day and we still don't know on a bunch of these um uh republicans need seven more seats to reach the 218 to be the to be the uh the have the control of the house real clear politics predicts the gop will regain the house majority by winning at least 227 seats nine seats over the threshold for them to get the majority despite the rest of the media still calling it a slim majority even a slim majority in the House would empower Republicans to rein Joe Biden in during the next two years in office, hopefully blocking his legislation and launching the investigations that need to happen. And of course, we're thinking uh, we're thinking Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's only a uh, only a path to show that uh, that what Joe Biden was doing. Um, of course, the stuff that got us into uh, got us into impeaching Trump because he suggested maybe we should check that out of what he was doing and Hillary Clinton. And of course, uh, Joe Biden is kind of thinking like this. Do you think Elon Musk is a threat to U S national security and should the U S and with the tools you have investigate his joint acquisition of Twitter with foreign governments, which include the Saudis? (laughs) I think that Elon Musk's, cooperation and or technical relationships with other countries uh, is worthy of being looked at. Yeah, of course, uh, it wasn't worthy of being looked at uh, before Elon Musk bought because the biggest shareholder was uh, Saudi Arabian uh, at the time before Elon Musk got involved. And as he prepares to ask his fellow Republicans to elect him as Speaker of the House, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, sent out this letter early Wednesday morning, and it said, Over the past century, Republicans have flipped the House from Democrats just four times, 1946, 1952, 1994, and 2010. Only twice did that flip occur in four years or less. While a number of races remain outstanding, I can confidently report that we will join that list build on our significant gains from the last cycle, and achieve our goal of taking back the House. Then around 2 a.m. on Wednesday, he came out and gave a statement unveiling what his agenda would be as Speaker. 
We're also going to have a government that's accountable. We should know where the origins of COVID began. We should know what happened those last 60 days of Afghanistan so it never happens again. And then we should also make sure that the DOJ stops going after parents simply because they go to a school board meeting and want to say in their kids' education. But on that very first day, we're going to repeal 87,000 new IRS agents. Yeah, but, uh, you know, while I agree with those, what about the stuff that really hurts? The people, the people in this country would like to see justice that the Democrats get away with, that the stuff that we wouldn't get away with, um, you know, like Hillary Clinton, um, the stuff that happened in January 6th, the FBI, the FBI uh, orchestrating the, the Gretchen Whitmer thing and the January 6th uh, insurgency. You know, and if you remember January 6th, there was all kinds of people there to, to protest the uh, the inconsistencies the the corruption in the uh, in the election and as you saw the few antifa guys that wearing maga hats so hey they're antifa but if they're wearing maga hats then it's republicans um breaking windows and you heard people in the crowd saying no 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 don't break the windows don't do that that's not what we're about of course you know you, you see the democrats stage this january 6th debacle uh, this drama, the one-sided, one-sided hearings, uh, Liz Cheney, and uh, we see we see that happen, and the Republicans want to just want to stay businesslike, politically correct, and you know us people, us people want to see the Republicans make noise. You know, I have I I asked I asked uh, Congressman Ken Calvert, why isn't anybody speaking up? Why doesn't anybody speak up? You know the the Democrats get all the get suck all the air out of the room. They they're in front of the cameras, they're in front of the microphones all the time, and that's what gets coverage. And maybe it's because the the media is just not showing the stuff the Republicans say. But I guarantee you, if the Republicans actually started started standing up and speaking their mind and not worried about being politically correct, you know, act like Trump, basically. Hey, you know, you see something, say something. Because we all see it, and we wonder why you're not saying something, and uh, you know that's and that's one of the reasons that Kevin McCarthy's being challenged by the Freedom Caucus by some people in the Freedom Caucus that hey, maybe maybe we don't want you as Speaker of the House, and I and I don't dislike Kevin McCarthy, but I too would like to see uh, the Republicans stand up, stand up and make some noise, stand up and call out the stuff that's so obvious to us. And of course, uh, everybody says, "Oh, you can't do that! You can't do that!" And you know, Trump did it and uh, said, "Ah, oh, he's not going to win win the presidency or the nomination doing that." And the and the Republicans, the the people of this country said, "Hey, we want someone to do this. We want that that appealed to everybody. Hey, why aren't we talking about what's coming over the border? Why aren't we talking about the?" unfairness in our trade policy why are all the jobs going to mexico and to china and everywhere else you know there he's saying the stuff that we're thinking and kevin mccarthy needs to step up and i know he's more politically correct and probably more long-term strategic than i am so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna question some of that but it's time that we saw some republicans that had some stones to actually stand up and be heard we want to be heard. Meanwhile, the RNC chair, chair uh, Ronna McDaniel, says that 
The media spinning the night as anything less than a victory for all Republicans is nonsense. There was a wave that happened last night, and we are waving goodbye to Speaker Pelosi, and we are going to have a Republican majority in the House, which also means we are going to be able to stop this disastrous Biden agenda that is hurting the American people. It is on track with what we were expecting. The media was way out ahead of this. I think there was a narrative that was out there that was unrealistic, and now we're in contention to take back the Senate. So I feel very good, especially with what we saw in Florida and with Ohio and with Iowa and Texas. We won with Monica De La Cruz in Texas 15. We won with Wesley Hunt. We picked up two seats. We retired Sean Patrick Maloney, the head of the DCCC. We beat Elaine Loria, who ran the January 6th committee. This is a good night for Republicans. And anybody saying otherwise is just wrong. When you win the game, you don't say, oh, did you win it by one point or two points? You won the game. We just won the Super Bowl last night. Nancy Pelosi will no longer have the gavel, and it will be in the hands of Kevin McCarthy, and that is good for the American people. I wonder if anybody thinks that Pelosi is going to spend less time in, on, on the, in front of the TV camera or, uh, or on the microphone um, than she is now. I wonder, hey, we got rid of her as Speaker, Speaker of the House, but do we think she'll have any less of a voice? You know, she forgot to mention when she's talking about Texas, Morgan Luttrell, Andrew Luttrell of uh, Lone Survivor fame, um, uh, his brother, uh, won and beat uh, Democrat Laura Jones, and he won with, a, with 68% of the vote. I think, I think that's a statement. I think that's a, uh, I think that's a message. Um, and, of course, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney being uh, beat, he's the, the chairman of the DCCC, the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee. And apparently uh, it's the first time in 40 years that the chairman of the DCCC has been beat by a Republican in, in over 40 years. So uh, there, are, there are good things that came out of, of, uh, of Tuesday, uh, just not as good as what we'd hoped for. Um, where do we stand in the Senate? The balance of power in the Senate is still up in the air and could be for the next several weeks. There are a couple of surprises in the Senate, first being Republican Ron Johnson was briefly projected to lose, and he's in Wisconsin against Democrat Mandela Barnes as the race tightened throughout the night. But eventually, Johnson's lead was large enough that even after all the votes from Democrat strongholds in Wisconsin had been counted, Barnes could not would not be able to close that gap. At, at that point, the race was called for Johnson with a lead of just 27,000 votes. Um... But as we all know by now, the biggest surprise of the night was an unfortunate vote. That was Pennsylvania, where the medically challenged John Fetterman, a man with half a brain, somehow squeaked out a win over Dr. Mehmet Oz. Um, you know, John Fetterman, John Fetterman beat him with, uh, you know, 200,000 votes, which amazes me, which amazes me. Uh, at 1.30 a.m., uh, Fetterman gave a victory speech that was a little more coherent than his debate debate performance. Of course, the debate was a month after they started early voting, so a lot of people uh, probably would would have wanted to to uh, repeal their uh, their their uh, their vote, but it was too late. We bet on the people of Pennsylvania, and you didn't let us down. And my promise to all of you is, I will never let you down. Thank you, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much. Of course, he was a little bit more coherent than at the debate because he didn't have to talk policy, didn't have to think, didn't have to talk about anything that mattered, just just 
you know, rah-rah for himself. And of course, uh, you know, I think Pennsylvania and I, and I sent my, uh, my Democrat sister this uh, same thing. I say, what's wrong with the water in Pennsylvania? Why do you guys, you guys elected a, a senator with half a brain and you elected a, 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 a state representative uh, similar to what we would call an assemblyman in California that died a month ago. So a uh, longtime Pennsylvania uh, representative won in a landslide, even though he died last month. Democrat Anthony Tony DeLuca, uh, the longest serving, serving state representative, was the choice of 85% of the votes, even though he died on October 9th. So, uh, you know, just goes to show what Pennsylvania. Now, meanwhile, three Senate seats are still up for grabs. Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. In Nevada, the lead is narrowing as of fri- Friday morning uh, with 90% of the votes in. So Adam Laxalt, Republican in uh, in Nevada, has 48.97% of the vote. And Catherine Cortez Mastro has 48.08% of the vote. So it's down to a uh, very thin margin. And, and, as, and I watched this. The longer the vote goes... The Republicans' lead lead seems to narrow, and if the Democrats are in in ahead, that seems seems to pick up speed. So as I as I posted, um, the longer this vote goes goes out, the vote counting goes out, the more opportunity Democrats have to cheat, and with all this mail in mail in voting, and uh, and I and I think their strategy is the poll watchers will finally get tired and have to go back to work. And uh, happily, I saw something on TV Friday morning where, where one of the one of the uh, poll watchers said, "We're not going home till this thing is done. We're making sure." I know they were trying to wait us out. In Arizona, Democrat Mark Kelly leads Republican Blake Masters fifty-one to forty-six. As of uh, Friday morning, fifty-one point seven to forty-six point one. It seems to be narrowing a little bit. But as we all heard, heard, Arizona's Maricopa County experienced ballot glitches. Tuesday morning, 20% of their polling sites had malfunctioning machines where ballots could not be read. Some also had problems with printing. By Wednesday, the county said the lion's share of the 250,000 in-person votes cast on Election Day had been counted and reported. But 7% of them, 17,000 ballots, were placed in a drop box and still had not been counted due to printing errors. Meanwhile, another 400,000 ballots dropped off before Tuesday still had to be counted. Let's hear it for early voting. You know what I think what we need to do is not have early voting. And if it is, and if it is uh, only started a week ahead of time, just as convenience. And if it's mail-in voting, mail-in vote ballots have to be, have to be uh, uh, postmarked a week ahead of time, not on voting day. Um, CBS News asked one of the county officials, Allie Bones, to explain what happened to those machines. The first thing that's really important to acknowledge is that every voter who came to vote yesterday will have their ballot counted. And what happened is that there was an issue with the tabulator being able to read the ballots that were coming out of the ballot on demand printers that they had set up at the on-site election day polling locations. But what was the option for voters was to either go to another vote center if they didn't want to vote in that location where they might have been having problems with the tabulators, or the voter could insert their ballot into a secure drop box and the ballot would be taken to Maricopa Central Count Facility to be tabulated last night. Um, 
this is a process that we know works. And this is why we contingency plan and backup plan for any, you know, thing that might happen. Technology problems sometimes exist. And we make sure that there's ways that voters are able to continue to cast their ballot. Yeah, you would think after 2020 debacle that they would have had their act together. Most likely, it's all going to come down to Georgia. Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker were neck and neck all night with Warnock at 49 and Walker at 40, 48 by Wednesday morning. So with Warnock leading it by about 35,000 votes, a December 6 runoff election was declared. Georgia law requires a runoff if neither candidate gets 50%, which means they stopped counting. So as of uh, Wednesday... There was a difference of about 35,000 votes in there. And, of course, uh, there's 81,000 votes that went to the Libertarian candidate, Chase Oliver. So I would think that the majority of Libertarians are uh, the purest conservatives they are typically. And uh, and when they have a, when they have a, the runoff that we'll see those go to Herschel Walker, um, let's all let's all pray and let's all uh, let's all. Maybe send them in twenty bucks or fifty bucks in the next week, uh, and uh, and I would just Google Herschel Walker if you're not getting emails, and uh, send him a little money so he can afford to to advertise and and beat this thing because we need the Senate to be Republican lit. So uh, that's my thought, and uh, of course the the mail in voting is is the biggest issue, and uh, as long as we have it, there will be cheaters. Anyway, I'm all out of time for the first half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports, and I'll be back with lots more. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman. The greatest lender in the in history of lending that I can't tell you what company I'm at, but if you want to find out about uh, real estate and finance, if you want to find out about uh, uh, whether you should be considering a, uh, a refinancing a piece of property you own or financing a piece of property you'd like to own or check out uh, one of those uh, fantastic financing tools for people over 62, uh, Reverse Mortgage. If you want to get the straight scoop and talk to someone who thinks like you, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the logo of the company that I can't tell you who it is. But if you want to email me, edhoffman at uamco.com. So anyway... uh, while the state of California delays my uh, delays my uh, license switching over to my new company, uh, I have to be a little elusive about that because I can't can't advertise for them until until it all switches over. So uh, let's talk about uh, the biggest losers. We've been talking about the election for the whole show um, and the uh, the inconsistencies and the disappointments and the victories that we experienced. It's uh, it's just disappointing to me that um, there's not more people that that have are clear thinking about what cha- what makes a difference in their life. I think uh, so many people, especially kids today, they say, "Well, you know what? I really don't pay attention to politics because they don't think it affects their lives, and it really does affect their affect their lives from the price of gas to uh, to um, the price of groceries." 
to how if whether they're safe or not to go to the grocery store. Uh, and of course, I I personally don't let my wife go to the go anywhere after dark. I'd say if, if it gets to be dusk, I don't let her go anywhere by herself um, because I just don't think it's safe anymore here in California. Uh, of course, we have a house in Arizona and a house in Montana, and it's significantly different there, especially in Montana. Uh, we put a security system in our house. We bought it um, a year and a half ago. And since, you know, it's 1,100 miles from here, I just say, hey, I want a security system. So if somebody breaks in, if something happens, uh, they call the police. And the guy goes, well, what do, you, what do you want in your security system? I said, I don't know. What do you suggest? He goes, well, this is in Montana. People don't even lock their doors. And I go, well, when I'm gone, I'm 1,100 miles away. I assume just somebody, make sure somebody's paying attention. And so I put the standard uh, cover everything on it and a couple of cameras and that kind of stuff. Uh, although we haven't had any problems since we've had it. The alarm never goes off, but goes off. But at least we have cameras we can look at to see if it's uh, if it's snowing or it's sunny, sunshiny. So anyway, let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, the biggest losers of the midterms. Uh, and that being uh, I want to say the American people. But uh but in general, it was Democrat candidates for governor. Unfortunately, Gavin Newsom isn't one of them. Uh, but who is? Well, maybe just let me ask this. Who voted for Gavin Newsom? What the hell are California voters thinking? Apparently, they're not. So two of the most high-profile Democrat gubernatorial candidates, uh, Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, are the two that uh, that um, that did lose. And of course, uh, we don't know. You know, we don't really know about California because they called it for Gavin Newsom with zero percent of the vote counted. Um, and the and there's a rumor out there that California they only vote on Tuesday. They only count votes on Tuesday and Friday. Don't know if that's for sure, but apparently the the percentage of votes counted haven't changed. And of course, you would think that they would take Friday off because it's Veterans Day, but that apparently is not the not the fact. Abrams. Stacey Abrams, once again, lost to Brian Kemp, one of the many Republican governors who fought against COVID restrictions for the past three years. Kind of seems like the voters of Georgia are trying to tell her something. Um, you know, uh, Brian Kemp uh, won with, uh, with uh, 300,000 more votes. Would seem that, seem that uh, hey, you know what, you've only been, you've, you've been told, uh, you've been told twice now and it's, it wasn't close. Um, as for Beto, real name Robert Francis O'Rourke. The name's Francis Sawyer. But everybody calls me Psycho. Any of you guys call me Francis, and I'll kill you. Lighten up, Francis. <laughs> well, he's he's run for gut, for just about every state and national office possible since losing his congressional reelection campaign in 2019. In the past three years, he's run for Senate and President of the United States. And this week, he lost the governor's race to the the tough-on-the-border Governor Greg Abbott in a decisive defeat. The voters of Texas have now told Beto three times they didn't want him representing them. And, uh, of course, uh, Greg Abbott uh, won by almost a million votes. You'd think he'd uh, get the hint. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke up. Get the net. Get the net. Hey, you know what, Beto? Texas doesn't want you. I uh, I uh, had somebody uh, 
send me a, a, a poster that said, hey, uh, Beto for California. Texas doesn't want him. So one of my one of my friends, one clients that uh, lives in California, but is just waiting for their house to be done so they can be permanently in Texas. Um, Ronna McDaniel counts both of these as major victories for the Republican Party. Abbott won against the third time loser, Beto O'Rourke, despite all the money that he had. We beat Stacey Abrams. I am in a very good place today. But Republican governors were overwhelmingly reelected last night because of what they did in the pandemic, because we did have a message. We kept our schools open. We kept our economies humming. And from Florida to Ohio to Iowa, across the board, we didn't lose a single Republican governorship. This is a good night for Republicans. You know, it was a it was a good night for Republicans, but of course, we wanted a big wave. We wanted to take over everything, and I'm sure that we're going to do that in, in 2024 when we take the White House and the Senate. If we didn't get the Senate this time, uh, but most of the talk surrounding Republican wins was about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who defeated serial politician and turncoat Charlie Crist. Meaning, Chris was a Republican until becoming an independent in 2010, and then realizing that gets you nowhere in politics, became a Democrat in 2012. Chris actually was governor of Florida back in 2007 through 2011, and was also in the House representing the 13th district for the past five years before deciding he wanted to be governor again. But this time, Floridians said, No, thank you. And they said it big he lost to Ron DeSantis by over a million and a half votes. So most of us know why Ron DeSantis won. He cracked down on the COVID overreach more than any other governor in the nation. And there are reports that say roughly 900 Americans a day have relocated to Florida since April of 2020, which I don't doubt. And I'll say that, you know, Don and I have have three houses in three different states. And uh, we never really we never really uh, considered Florida, mostly because of that scene in uh, in uh, the big short where those guys are going into the backyard of a uh, foreclosed house and there's an alligator in the in the in the swimming pool. Uh something about alligators. You know, uh, we have coyotes here and uh we have earthquakes, but we don't have uh hurricanes and we don't have alligators. So uh I don't know. Uh maybe someday we'll consider some part of Florida that isn't too close to uh, where the alligators hang out. Um, DeSantis is definitely being talked about as a 2024 presidential contender. Here's his speech. We saw freedom in our very way of life in so many other jurisdictions in this country wither on the vine. Florida held the line. We chose facts over fear. We chose education over indoctrination. We chose law and order over rioting and disorder. Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world. Thanks to the overwhelming support of the people of Florida, we not only won election, We have rewritten the political map. People have come here because our policies work. Leadership matters. Leaders don't follow. They lead. Yeah, I love DeSantis. And, uh, you know, I would absolutely support him for president. But I think, of course, and I think, and of course, it doesn't matter what I think. But I would think, but I think we need four more years of Trump, followed by eight years of DeSantis. I think, uh... Uh, four four years of Trump isn't enough, 
and I don't think eight years of DeSantis is enough. I think we need I think we need three terms, three terms, and I think we need for someone to turn this country around, um, like Trump would, with somebody that doesn't need to worry about re- a reelection. And I think we need someone that's got the got the guts to do it, to make the hard calls and and to make the unpopular calls. And of course, some people say, "Hey, DeSantis needs to be there because Trump is so divisive." And I don't disagree with that, but I just don't care. I just don't care about you know the stuff that Trump says. And he said some stupid things over the years, and he said some stupid things over the last couple of days. But I just don't care about that. I just want someone who is clearly going to make the calls that are best for America. And I just don't care if, who, who he angers or who he offends. I just say, hey, we need someone that's going to make those calls, the calls to bring jobs back, the calls to, to uh, go up against China and our trade, trade problems, to finish the wall and get all that stuff done. And he's not going to care what the Democrats whine and, well, we've got to work across the aisle. I don't really care. The Democrats don't care about working across the aisle with us, and we shouldn't we shouldn't care about that either. And we need to just get on with what Trump was doing and finish the wall and finish what he was doing, hand it over to DeSantis to keep to keep our our country strong. But of course, like I said before, it doesn't matter what I think, and I'm going to support whoever uh, whoever gets the uh, Republican nomination in 2 years and of course uh DeSantis said uh, he wasn't interested in retiring any any uh, uh, crotchety old uh, Democrats other than other than uh, Charlie Crist, and of course now he's saying he'll decide in by the spring of twenty three whether he runs for president or not. So you know what politics is politics; it is what it is. So uh, so is the democracy over now? As we all remember, Democrats threw all their energy over the past few months into the fearful "democracy is at stake" message. Americans believe our democracy is at risk, that our democracy is under threat. Democracy itself is on the ballot. The stakes are high. What was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. This country is on track to repeat what happened in Germany when it was the greatest democracy going you did the say there, though, it could be the end of the world. The, no, democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. Yeah, but as I as I posted this week on social media, democracy is not on the ballot. Democracy is the ballot. The fact that we get to vote for that, where democracy is at stake, is in the counting. And with the Democrats doing all the mail in votes and pushing that. Um, that gives them opportunity to take away our democracy and in other words to 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 counteract what the what the people wanted like they did in 2020 and i know it's not politically correct to say to say that uh the election was stolen but we all know it was we all know it was we all know that barack obama wasn't born in in the united states and we all know that he shouldn't have been eligible to be president and we all know that the the election was stolen but it's just not politically correct because you'll be uh you'll be a uh, a conspiracy theorist either one so uh when it comes to uh when it became clear over the past few months that voters were going to think for themselves well some of them were and put the economic well-being of their own families first democrat strategists threw their hands in the air out of frustration not with the republicans but with their own party 
Here's Hillary Rosen and Van Jones. Voters have told us all year what they care about. And I think we have focused on other things. And I think the president's closing message last night about democracy is on the ballot again is frustrating to to people being accused of aligning with fascists because they're voting for their pocketbook. I think there was this kind of fool's gold, this idea that you know, the threat to democracy is so severe that that was something that you had to talk about. But you also had to talk about the economy. The, I think the tragedy here is that we didn't focus enough firepower on that issue. And I think it's going to potentially cost us. You know, we did not listen to voters in this election. And I think we're going to have a bad night. When voters tell you over and over and over again that they care mostly about the economy, listen to them. Stop talking about democracy being at stake. And while I'll bring this up, that the Democrats will say whatever, whatever they need to say to steer people to vote their way. And, and I, I think I said this last week, or I, I posted it for sure, was... You know, when you get a reverse mortgage, when you're 62 or older and you're getting a reverse mortgage, you're required, if you're the borrower, you're required to go through a a, a third-party HUD-approved counseling session to make sure that you understand everything that has to do with the reverse mortgage, how it works, all the rules, how the, how, uh, you know, how everything that, that goes with it to make sure that you're not being steered into a, a something, something that, you didn't know how it worked, and all of a sudden you you uh, you endured the the fees, and you let a you let a financial planner, i.e., an insurance agent, convince you to pull all the money out of your house, and then take that money and put it into annuity. And in fact, part of the application says, "Are you uh, uh, cashing out this money from the reverse mortgage to, to invest in an annuity?" And if you say yes, the the application is turned down. Um, so. They want to make sure because when you put it into annuity initially, you put a hundred thousand into annuity, and about thirty percent of it just goes away while they pay for pay for huge commissions. And if you if you change your mind and want to pull it out, you just lost thirty percent of your money. And I could be off a little bit on the uh, on the percentages, but it's a lot. And so you you have to leave it in there. And the the reason that reverse mortgages are only for people that are in retirement years is because. That's when you're the most conservative. You want to make sure that you don't be too risky and and put your money in because you need it because you're close to retirement. So, uh, but in his post, but you know they get to they get to come out. The Democrats get to go out and say, hey, you know what? If you uh, let the Republicans take over, they're going to cut your Social Security. Who gets Social Security? People over sixty-two. Why are they allowed to do that? And that's not called elder, elder abuse. So in uh, in uh, Biden's post-election speech on Wednesday, when Joe Biden read the uh, communications, what the communications office wrote for him, it was clear his White House had to find a way to spin what just happened. After all, there wasn't there wasn't enough of a red wave to say democracy died, but there also weren't enough Democrat wins to claim that they saved democracy. So here was their compromise. Well, we had an election yesterday. It was a good day, I think, for democracy. Our democracy has been tested in recent years, but uh, with their votes, uh, the American people have spoken and proven once again that democracy is who we are. The states across the country uh, saw record voter turnout. While we don't know all the results yet, uh, here's what we do know. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And we lost fewer seats in the House of Representatives than any Democratic president's first midterm election in the last 40 years. And we had the best midterm for governors since 1986. 
And another thing that we know is that voters uh, spoke clearly about their concerns about raising costs, the rising costs that they're in, and the need to get inflation down. There's still a lot of people hurting. They're very concerned. And it's about crime and public safety. And they sent a clear and unmistakable message that they want to uh, preserve our democracy and protect the right to choose uh, in this country. Yeah, so I guess uh, Biden is the greatest president of the United States ever, according to him. And, of course, he thinks he's going to uh, run for re-election, and he's going to, hey, you know, do you think he should be running for re-election at that age? Oh, just watch me. You know, some of your, par- your party uh, doesn't think you should run again. Oh, just watch me. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Biden's, Biden's in another, in another uh, world, and it's certainly not, uh, certainly not something that, we, that we're in. So uh, I want to end the show this, this week. Um, you know, I often say that, hey, you know, if you got screwed up kids, you were probably a screwed up parent, and that our kids are a reflection of what kind of parents we were. And um, I don't want to brag. I don't want to brag about uh, Don and my Don and I have three kids, and they're all they're all uh, got their heads screwed on straight. They're all paying their own bills. They're all doing well. And uh, but you know, in re- as a tribute to Veterans Day, as well as a tribute to my brother, my brother uh, committed suicide in 1994 on November 8th, and uh, he was. Uh, I had just turned 33, and he was uh, three weeks short of of turning 36. And, uh, my brother and I were all, 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 always really close. And, uh, we shared a, you know, we shared a bedroom for our whole, our whole, uh, childhood. And I posted on, on, uh, Facebook, I said, uh, Scott Irwin Hoffman, uh, November 28th, 1958 to November 8th, 1994. I still miss him. I didn't want to put a whole big story about him. Um, but, uh, I put on a, I put on that post and my nieces put on a, a bigger post about uh losing their dad and uh it was really good and and my daughter Casey uh said she wrote something for me that she wanted to she wanted to read to me and uh and I figured it was a tribute to uh to Scott and uh she called me she called me and said I don't want to read it to you while you're working um and then after she read it to me I said Wow, because it's really it's not just a tribute to me; it's a tribute to veterans. And I thought I could read it, but I came to the conclusion I won't be able to get through it. So she recorded it and sent it to me on a on a audio file. And I want to play that right now. This is my daughter Casey uh, with a tribute to uh, to me and to the veterans and to my brother. You know, I think that you think that nine eleven made you this way. That your love and loyalty and above all undying respect for soldiers is a patriotic thing. It's not. It's your brother. It's the first male you knew, barely older than you were, who stood up for you. It's the way he was just a child absorbing the worst of all your dad had in him and he protected you by taking it on himself. It's the feeling you get when looking up to your beloved big brother until you carry him on your shoulders, off the field, into the garden until you look down at his casket being lowered in. It's the reason you give all you have to soldiers. You know better than anybody they would give their life for you, your freedom, your safety, your ability to go on. Because you would give anything to have your brother back, or even to imagine having the chance to stand up for him, 
to support him in the struggles that result from being raised by a tyrant, ruled by an aggressor, beaten and stabbed to within an inch of his life and lung while all you could do was look on. And when he died of the defects of all the poison left in him, like an Agent Orange baby, you were left to hold the flag and defend his honor. You love and respect those who have fought or died absorbing the worst of what this world has to offer. And you have so much love and respect for their families, the love of whom made it so hard to leave and serve and yet impossible not to. Because even if your name has never once graced the lips or minds of those soldiers, you know that their absorption of the worst makes this place that much better for not only yourself, but your loved ones. You know that all the pain and struggle and fear that you've seen is still nothing compared to his for this reason. And you never underestimate that contribution. You never forget the soldiers like you'll never stop missing your brother. And I just wonder if you've ever realized that they're one and the same. Breathtaking. It's like, what do I say after that? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm so proud of, uh, of our three kids, Casey and, and, uh, Ryan and Brett, uh, for who they are. And, and I, and I give most tribute to my wife for making them good humans and, and teaching me that our job is to create responsible adults, not to be friends with our kids. And I'm proud of how they came out. And, uh, for those, those of you veterans that are fighting for us and our great country and uh, those of you that have retired and for those of you that are no longer with us I salute you and I give my heartfelt thanks for your service and for all you do for our country because without without the veterans we wouldn't be free and next week on this show I'm going to interview a friend of mine who just retired I asked him to come on this show Uh, he's an F-35 pilot and uh, former Top Gun uh, instructor uh, from down in Miramar. And uh, he'd fly in, fly in to uh, March Air Force Base. And uh, when they'd stay overnight on Saturday nights, they would, uh, him and whoever he was training, would uh, pop into a, uh, a local uh, bar and restaurant that the veterans all know called Renee's. And uh, I asked him to come on my show, and he said, not till after I'm officially retired. Because he has some things to say that he probably shouldn't while he's active duty. So anyway, uh, happy Veterans Day to all you veterans. And uh, don't miss next week's show. And uh, my name is Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. And I'll be back again with you next week. AM 590, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.